The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. 1 Samuel chapter 7, let's just dive right in. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord, and they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Verse 2, so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They were sorrowful for the sin that they had caused the nation of Israel and the sin before the Lord taking the ark out into battle uh, and all of the trials that uh, were associated with that. And so they lamented for 20 years. Verse three, then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the false gods, right? And they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. In verse 6, so they gathered together at Mizpah. They drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day. And they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines had heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And so Samuel took a suckling lamb, and he offered it as a whole burnt offering unto the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines on that day, and and so confused them, that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and they pursued the Philistines and they drove them back as far as below beth Then Samuel, this is a key verse, then Samuel, verse 12, took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and he called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also there was a peace between Israel and the Amorites and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all of those places, but he, excuse me, always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. He judged Israel, and there he built an altar 
unto the Lord. So in this chapter, man, we're in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, and as you guys are reminded, the ark was taken out into battle. It was captured, right? The Philistines were smitten with hemorrhoids and rats, and the plague had come upon them. They'd had it for seven months, right? And they were, they were uh, resistant to repent of their sin, right? They had captured the ark. They treated it as a trophy. They wanted to claim the precious possessions of God for themselves. Uh, and God had smitten them, and then so they sent, they put the ark on the, on the cart, right? And they sent, they yoked the cows, and they send the cows back to Beth Shemesh, right? And the cows go straight there. They didn't turn to the left or to the right. The cows took the ark of God back to Beth Shemesh, and what happened there, right? There was a few choice men, 70 to be exact. They looked into the ark of God, right? They looked into the things of God selfishly, right? Like we do from time to time. And that is a warning for us, right? That we are not to look into the things of God selfishly, rather that we are to submit ourselves before a holy God. And so God struck down 70 men dead on the spot, right? For looking into the ark. They opened the mercy, they lifted up the mercy seat and they looked in there, right? And so, um, and then we talked last week about how uh, may we not be the kind of people that look into the things of God for ourselves selfishly, which produces death, right? Or be like the ones that said, man, we believe God is working there, but we don't want anything to do with it, right? And the people at Beth Shemesh had actually sent the ark onto Kirjath-Jerim. And so at Kirjath-Jerim is where we pick up in chapter 7, and the ark has landed there uh, and resided there for 20 years, right? But it says that they lamented. The people of, the, of Israel lamented, right? They were, uh, they were challenged. They were lowly of heart. They were sorrowful for the sin in the camp, right? The sin in their life, the sin of the nation of Israel. They felt like they had let the Lord down. But nonetheless, God was in a rest rest restorative mood, right? Like Corey was singing about, you know, the, just uh, like our good friend Peter, the, the restoration, the uh, heart of the Lord Jesus, right? And so God was there uh, to use Samuel to encourage the nation of Israel, right? And Samuel says um, here, and he says, uh, the, the, the key word is if, right? Um, let's see. If you return, verse 3, to the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, right? And so uh, God is using Samuel to lean into the people, the nation of Israel, and encourage them to repent of their sin. He's saying, if, if, that's a key, that's a key word, right? And so um, I actually was reminded, I'm like, man, that sounded so familiar. And so uh, I, I actually want to jump over into 2 Chronicles um, really quick and read to you guys briefly about Solomon, right? So we are in the book of Samuel, and Samuel here next week, we will talk about King Saul, right? The people start to demand for a king. They, they want to be like the other nations of the world. They want to be like the other people of the world. The nation of Israel, they lamented for a season, and then uh, Samuel kind of raises them up the remainder of his life, and we'll come back to that in just a second, but um, you have King Saul that is raised up, but he was not the promised king of Israel. It is King David, right? And so you have Saul, the first king of Israel, chosen by the people. You have King David, the king of Israel, chosen by God himself, of which the Messiah was to come. He was a 
promised, uh, it was a prophecy, right, that Jesus Christ would come of the lineage of David. David had a son named Solomon, right? And so Solomon is writing here in Chronicles, and I love this, Solomon built the, this elaborate temple, right? So in the Old Testament, we primarily had tabernacle worship, right? It was literally a tent in the wilderness that God had instructed Moses to build, right? Very precise instructions, the height of the pillars, the width and the depth and the dimensions and the, the type of um, uh, materials that were to be draped over, the very specific uh, ark itself, the acacia wood and the gold and the mercy seat and all of these fascinating details, right? And so um, God leads Solomon, the wealthiest man who had ever lived, right, to build and build and make a team to establish the actual physical temple that would replace the tabernacle, okay? And so Solomon, I'm, I'm going to summarize uh, a, a little bit here. Um, in, in chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, Solomon prays an incredible prayer of dedication, an amazing prayer of dedication, like all of this work went into the building of the temple, and, and Solomon is kind of realizing in this moment that God has used him for an incredible purpose, right? And so he, he makes this prayer, and, and this, is, this is my prayer uh, for, for you guys today, uh, and, and I do, I'm going to read some of it. I won't read all of it, but I will read some of it. I'm going to start here in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Uh, verse 12, it says, Then Solomon, he stood before the altar of the Lord. So imagine, man, he just built the most fascinating temple anyone has ever seen. Like, this is unprecedented. Like, this is the house of God, right? God himself is going to dwell in this house. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands. For Solomon, Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high. And he had set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it. And he knelt down on his knees before the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. So he's just passionately praying. And he said this, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you, who keep your covenant and your mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. He says, you have kept what you promised your servant David, my father, you have spoken both with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. So the building of the temple even was prophesied. The exact materials that they used, the year that it was going to be built, who was going to build it, who would sponsor it, who would come against it, all of these things, right? Um, and, and Solomon is here proclaiming the promises of God as they're coming true. And he says, I'm going to skip down to verse 18, he says, but will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and, the, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot even contain you, how much less this temple that we've built. That's some pretty powerful words from Solomon there, right? Like that's a very humbling statement. He's like, God, are you sure that you're going to dwell among men? Like, like even the, the heaven of heavens can't even contain you, and you're going to hang out in this thing that we built? Like it's pretty nice. But that's, are you sure, Lord? You know, I, I love how Solomon uh, is, is just kind of, he's really humbled by this experience. In verse 19, he says, Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you. 
And this is his prayer. He says that your eyes may be open toward the temple on this day and night and toward the place where you said, Lord, where you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place and that you may hear the supplications of your servant, Lord, and your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear them, forgive them. He says, if anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath, and he comes and takes an oath before the, you, uh, before the altar in this temple, hear them from heaven and act, Lord, and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked, by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving uh, him according to his righteousness. He goes on to continue praying. He says, or if your people, Israel, are defeated by an enemy because they've sinned against you, right? Like we talked about in Samuel, how the, it, the Israelites were defeated because they brought the ark into battle exactly as God told them not to do. They sinned. 30,000 of them died, right? And let alone the ark traveled absent from Israel for seven months while it was in the Philistines' um, territory. And he's saying here again, like this is, a, this is a repeat offense for the nation of Israel, right? Like this is several hundred years later, we are reading about Solomon recording the same repetitive sin in the, in the nation of Israel. This happening over and over. May that not be true for our lives, but he says here, because they've sinned against you and return and confess your name and they pray and make supplication before you in this temple. He's praying that this temple, man, like this house of the Lord would be a place where people repent of their sin. They turn from their wicked ways and they humbly confess before a holy God. And he is asking the Lord to have mercy on them. And he knows that the Lord will. Listen to this. He says, Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people and bring them back to the land which you've given them and their fathers. His promise, God's promise to Abraham. And uh, let's see, I do want to skip down. Listen to this. This is kind of interesting. In verse 32, he goes on, he says, Moreover, so his primary prayer was for the nation of Israel, right? Now listen to this. In verse 32, he says, Moreover, concerning a foreigner, right? Like, a Gentile, you know, you have Jews and Gentiles, right? And the Gentiles were non-Jews, like everyone in this room, unless you were born Jewish, we are all Gentiles, right? This is incredible that Solomon is speaking about the Gentiles. He's praying for the Gentiles in a very Jewish period. And he says, moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and they pray in this temple, then hear from heaven in your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls upon you, that the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. And so Solomon, man, like this, this is amazing. I want you all to go home and read this, Second Chronicles chapter 6. It's an incredible prayer of Solomon over the house of the Lord. And I just felt like that was my heart, my prayer over this house, over this church, this body, man. Like 
that, 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 that we would have the same condition of heart, man. Like when we come to church on Sunday, when we show up to D group throughout the week, whenever we're praying with our families over meals and, and gatherings with friends during uh, the course of our lives, like, man, would we just humbly come before a holy God like we talked about, right? Like God is holy. Remember the, the people at Beth Shemesh, they said, who is this holy God? Like, and who can stand before him, right? And we can. Like, in fact, in Hebrews, it says we can come boldly before the throne of grace, right? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, but what the point that I really want to make here is in chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Verse 14 says this, and we hear this word, if, again. And like we talked about in Samuel, right? 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, he says, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts and put away the false gods, put away the asterisks, right? Listen to what God says in response to Solomon's prayer. He hears this powerful prayer of Solomon, and then he says this. This is the Lord speaking. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. And so I just... Uh, I wanted to read that, man. I, like I was reading that last night. The Lord had, had kept me up. And, and sometimes um, it's, it's interesting. Like I don't always, I, I, I'm not pretending to be like super spiritual or anything because I'm, I mean, I'm a normal dude. I have a very normal life, much like all of you. I do love Jesus and God has called me into ministry and, and all of these things. And I'm, I'm super blessed for it, but there's a lot of times where I do like to just kind of chill at the house and watch a hunting show or whatever for 30 minutes before I go to bed and eat a bowl of cereal, right? Like that's a pretty normal dude thing to do, right? And, uh, and so anyways, I was sitting there and I was like kind of winding down a little bit, you know, but man, I just like, I had the, I just really had a, I don't know, like my heart was longing for the Lord, you know, like the hunting show just was not doing it. I'm like, this, I was a little bored with it, right? And so Anyways, man, I just turned on some worship music, and man, Jason and Stephanie Lynch hooked us up with a, an awesome couch, you know. Uh, they moved into a new home, and what? anyway, we were like super pumped about this new couch that they hooked us up with, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm just like feeling blessed, you know. I'm like, man, like this is a sweet little couch here, and, uh, and, and I was listening to worship music, and I just was, it felt like, and I was kind of reflecting on this idea that God is saying, man, like if, like it's a, it is conditional. Like the love of God is unconditional, right? Like God loves us despite the fact that we are sinners, right? Um, but the, uh, the, the, the movement of God, like the, the promises of God, like after we uh, have come to know the Lord, like God is asking, asks of us, to repent of our sin continually and turn from our wicked ways and to put away the asterisks and put away the false gods. You know, it's conditional. Like, it is conditional. And, and Scripture confirms that several times that there are, there are things, there are blessings in life that God withholds from us until we turn from those things. That's the reason the Scripture says if. Like, that is the Lord himself speaking. He says if, if. If my people who call me by my name will turn, right? And so may that be our heart today. And so I, I, uh, I was like, Lord, where do you want me to go with this? Like, what do I do with this, right? I mean, so Samuel, 
sets up this Ebenezer stone, right? We go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel sets up this stone. Um, What verse was that? In verse 12, he says, Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and he called it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. I love the original King James. It says, Hitherto the Lord hath helped us, right? I love that, hitherto. Um, And I was just reminded, like, of my own story and like my own Ebenezer stone, right? Like this Ebenezer stone, man, was a memorial that, that Samuel had set up saying like, guys, like all of your lives in, in the nation of Israel, like Samuel is speaking to me saying, man, for the most part, you guys have blown it. You really have. You guys have blown it. And he's like, but God has always been faithful He has always been faithful. He led you out of captivity in Egypt all the way through the desert. It says that their sandals didn't even wear out. Like it was a miracle that God had preserved them. They get all the way into the promised land and the battles of Jericho and and the defeated AI, but then they go on and and, and all of these miraculous events happen. and, And Samuel is like sitting here saying like, guys, man, like you continue to blow it, but God keeps showing up. Like might we be reminded of why we're here, why we're living, what we're, what we're doing, what is the purpose of life? What's the purpose of the nation of Israel? What's the purpose for being a Christian? Like, why are we in this room? Why do we live in Overland Park? Why are we all still have heartbeats today by God's provision? And so I, I'm sitting here thinking about, like, what are my, my motivations? Like, what are my motivations? Like, what, like why am I even up here? Like, what am I doing, right? I mean, it's definitely not to, like, stack up massive amounts of income. (laughs) Like, I'm not creating generational wealth up here preaching the word, right? Uh, There are some people out there that are, and shame on them. But, uh, you know, it's like, the reason I'm here, man, is, like, my Ebenezer stone, like, my memorial stone, The thing that's in my life that I'm reminded of constantly, that if Samuel was a friend in my life today, he would be like, dude, don't forget, man. Like, God reached down and saved me, like, when I was in college. Like, that is an Ebenezer, the primary Ebenezer stone in my life. Like, I stand here today preaching the word of God to you, encouraging you and loving on you in the spirit of Jesus Christ so that you might come to know him in the same way that I have come to know him. Like, he is so good. And that's what Samuel is saying. He's like, guys, the Lord is good. Like, may we remember that God is this good. And so in my story, like, I want to create a little bit of a roadmap for you guys today. Like, this is going to be, this is where we will shift the message into into some non-traditional, like, teaching. But I want to take this idea that, like, my life is built upon this Ebenezer stone. It's, it is a born-again salvation experience, right? And, and, and so the first thing, the absolute first thing, like I want to create a roadmap for the Christian life. And I'm going to let you guys know exactly where I'm at in that process. But I want to set some expectations for what you guys can start to look forward to and or even just acknowledge like where you are in your walk with Christ, okay? And so... And the reason I'm going to predicate all of this on John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Gospel of John. 
It's Jesus talking to Nicodemus, right? And I won't read all of it, but I will read most of it. John chapter three, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a leader, a teacher uh, come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. Jesus answered and he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and and be born? It's a fair question. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Like that is as clear cut gospel sharing as it possibly gets. Everyone in the room needs to know John chapter three, the story of Nicodemus. Like you have got to know that in order for you to move forward in any capacity in your spiritual life and your journey with God, you must be born again. Jesus himself said, Don't let that surprise you. Don't marvel. Don't be confused. Nicodemus is like, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? Like, like, you know, I can see a look on his face like, that's weird, you know? And he, this was a religious leader of the day, right? Like this was like the Pope of the day. Nicodemus was the highest religious authority of the day. And he was spiritually stupid, right? And so, but Jesus wasn't like, you know, calling him out. He was teaching him. He was coaching him. He was bringing clarity to the situation. And the same is true for all of us, man. I know some of this, some of you guys are like, yawn, dude. Like, I'm born again, bro. Like, geez, get on with it, man. Like, I gave, like, gave my life to Jesus when I was 10. I'm 75 now, bro. Like, can we get back into 1 Samuel? But man, here's the deal. Like, that born again experience, like, you must be born again, Like, you must be born again. And in order to be born again, guys, hear me clearly, like, this is the gospel. In order to be born again, all it takes is for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Like, you must believe that he died on the cross for your sin. And so when we're reading in Samuel and reading in Chronicles and we're reading about these prayers of the nation of Israel and how they were just very rebellious and they were sinful natured people, like Moses uh, called them a stiff-necked people, man. They were a stiff-necked people. We are too. Throughout all the Old Testament, every single Uh, a parallel with the nation of Israel, look yourself in the mirror. Look yourself in the mirror. We are the nation of Israel. We are a stiff-necked people. We are sinful. We are rebellious. We often put up gods before us, uh, before the Lord in our life. We put up the Dagons. We put up the Asterisks and the Baals and all of the other idols in our life because we think they're attractive. We think they bring us value. We think that they somehow are going to manufacture happiness on this side of eternity, and they never do. They never do, but we're repetitive. The nation of Israel, repetitively sinful, right? We're reading several thousand years are tied up in this words on these pages, man, and it's the same story over and over. 
God sent faithful men to remind other men and women that God was still there to love them. God still cared for them. God was still pursuing them. But yes, indeed, he still wanted them to repent of their sin. Like, it's just, that's the story of scripture. And so, but in order for you to understand, like, this born-again experience, this Ebenezer Stone, like, when you receive faith in Jesus Christ and you have an authentic moment of salvation where God indeed in a moment in time covers your sin with his blood and he baptizes you with the spirit of God, the same spirit that was in the tabernacle, same spirit that was in the temple, the same God that Solomon was like, who who are you God that you're even willing to sit in this building because even the heavens can't contain your glory. That same God lives in you. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's when you've been born again. And that is immediately after you have received faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So I'm painting a roadmap for you. You once were dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead, like dead. You were born of the dust of the earth, and of the dust you will return, right? Unless you have been born again spiritually, that is the peak of your existence, is your time on earth. But when you are born again spiritually, you are given a new spirit. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, created for good works according to his purpose. And you have an eternal position in heaven for all of eternity, right? But where does that leave us? Okay, so we've hammered home this idea of the salvation experience. That is your Ebenezer Stone, man. Like, when I got saved in college, I've shared with my, my story with many of you. A faithful man of God named Patrick Riley came in to teach me the Word of God. He told me who Jesus was. He showed me in Scripture where it was. I received faith in Jesus Christ, and then he taught me the Word of God. That is my experience. And like he made a disciple, right? He taught me the word and made a disciple. And now I stand before you today, a man filled with the spirit of God, sinful but, glor- but glorified because God uh, is, I have righteousness credited to me because of my faith in Christ, not because of my performance, right? But, um, and now I'm, I'm seeking to follow the ways of Jesus and go therefore and make disciples, teaching men and women to obey all that the Lord has commanded us and coach them up and encourage them and send them out with purpose, right? So it's this idea that like after you get saved and you, are, you have this born again experience, you should go through a season where you are discipled. Like somebody is teaching you the word of God. Like God just, that's a pattern that the Lord uh, replicates over and over and over and over and over. Like, it's the power of multiplication. Like, it doesn't do me any good to come up here and spray the word. Like, it's like if my cup was full and I started just, and and all of you had cups, and I started just, man, I'm hammering away. Like, I'm sweating, I'm chugging coffee, dude. And I'm like, man, I gotta feed these people the word. Feed these people the word. It would take forever to fill your cups up, man. It would be, it, I'd be so exhausted. And I mean, I'd always be having to go back to the Father, fill it up. I'm like, man, you know, fill it up. And I'm like, sending it back out. Like, dude, that would suck, man. Now you talk about exhausting. The, the model for discipleship biblically is exactly like Jesus, right? He took 12. And really, he took three, Peter, James, and John. And he went, beep, just dumped into a man. He dumped into Peter, James, and John, and they did the same thing. And it's the power of multiplication. Over time, everybody's got a lot of full cups out there, right? And if you're sure, you got a few sprayers, but that's okay. 
you know? Um, but like, it, you need to ask yourself, like, where are you in terms of discipleship? Where are you at in terms of discipleship? Have you been discipled, yes or no? Well, first thing is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes or no? Woo! Have you been discipled, yes or no? Okay, and then it's like, have I been discipled? I'm not sure. That's okay. But talk, like, talk to me about it. Talk to Jimmy about it. Talk to Corey about it. That is your next step. Ding, ding, ding. That's your next step. If you're coming into church going, what am I doing spiritually? I'm pretty sure I am saved. Like, I know that I'm baptized with the Spirit of God. Then you need to get discipled. And we are here to put people in your lives. God is faithful to provide exactly what you need in terms of getting discipled, okay? Now, that's getting discipled. Now, you may say to yourself, I've been discipled. I don't know, man. I don't know what to do with it yet, you know? Okay, your next step is to get with me and say, here's my deal. I've been discipled, but here's where I need some encouragement. Here's where I need some motivation. Here's where I may need some retraining, so to speak. Here's where I need uh, the word of God to come alive in my life. Um, or just, you know, hey man, I need some direction or some guidance in this area. Like that's what we are here to do, okay? And so if you have been discipled, but you're not making disciples, you're in no man's land. You're in no man's land. Like, there actually exists a no man's land. Like, I've, I've been there. We, my wife and I went to Israel, and we went from Israel into uh, the nation of Jordan. It was an amazing experience. But you actually go into no man's land. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, you leave Israel, and you're like, not in Jordan yet. <laughs> you're like, in the middle. And there's all these guards and dudes with AK-47s and everything and really uh, subpar uh, restroom facilities. And you're like, wow, I'm act this is that term, no man's land, like that's, you're actually there. Like I'm not in either country. I'm literally on the border. And so don't sit in no man's land very long, please. Don't sit in no man's land very long, please. Some of you have been discipled and you're not making disciples. Like you, you know it. Like you, the Spirit is like confirming the words that are coming out of my mouth right now for you that like you've never made a disciple. God's not beating you up, but he's using me to lift you up. Like get off your can, talk to somebody, get back in a D group, do something to make disciples or else you are telling Jesus his kingdom is not important enough, yours is more important. The business that you're building is more important. The, the financial situation in your family is more important. Whatever it is. Like, may that not be so. Like Samuel said, man, like, or, or like, I'm sorry, like God told Samuel, if, if my people will humble themselves and pray and do all that I have obeyed, commanded them to do, then I will heal their land. Like, then I will bless them, right? And so, man, don't tempt the Lord. Just do it. <laughs> Don't sit in no man's land, okay? Now, if you, so we've talked about those that are not saved, talked about those who are like, man, maybe today is your salvation day, and we need to talk. Don't leave here if you're like, man, I do not know Jesus, but I don't want to leave here without knowing him. Then I don't want to leave here without talking to you, right? Let's get you across the line. You're now saved, right? 
you begin getting raised up, discipled in Christ, right? Okay, and so I'm asking you guys to question, where are you at with discipleship? You either need to be discipled or you need to make disciples. And don't sit in no man's land, right? And now once you're making disciples, now what? Like, are you continuing to grow and mature to the point where you know, man, like the disciples that you're making, like you're reproducing a very healthy life. When you get to the point where you start to make disciples, do you talk about attack, man? The devil is absolutely going to send the fire of hell on your life because you're multiplying the kingdom of God. If you've got a heart for Jesus, if you actually want to see the kingdom of God grow, if you're actually laying up for yourself treasures in heaven instead of laying up for yourself treasure on earth, the enemy is absolutely gonna come after your life. And so if you're like, man, I've never really felt spiritual attack, you're probably not making disciples. <laughs> you probably need to talk to me about getting discipled, okay? Let me help make that super clear for you guys. Like, this is a gap in the church. It's a gap in the church. People are, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, I'm not calling out anyone specifically, but the gap is that I, I feel like people are in holes, and they don't know where to go. Like, we need to be moving, man. Like Jesus said, even when he said to go, make, he says, go, therefore, as you are going, make disciples. He doesn't say pull up the comfiest chair you can find and make a disciple, he said, therefore, as you are going, make disciples. As you're trying to build a business, as you're leading a church for a couple of weeks, as you got a newborn on the way, as you're struggling through financial situations, as you can't, haven't seen your family in months and months, as you're missing weddings and funerals of people that you love and care about because you're serving the Lord, make disciples. Like, get after it, man. Like, that is the heart of the Lord, man, is to get down in there. The kingdom of God is at hand. Like, if you actually had a clue to what degree the extremes that God has gone to so that we alone could obtain salvation, let alone the plans that God has for this city and this church, man, would that just be top of mind for us? Top of mind. Like, what is God doing and how am I playing a role in that? It's, it's okay today if you're a little confused on where God has you and where you're going, it's not okay tomorrow to be just as confused. It's not. Like God has provided a way. He's provided his word. He's provided pastors. He's provided a church. He's provided brothers and sisters in Christ. God has gone to extremes to make a way to make sure that you know that he wants you focused on the kingdom, not on the world, growing in Christ. And so growing in Christ on this side of eternity, like when you, when you receive salvation in Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, right? You are saved by grace alone and by faith alone in Jesus Christ, right? And that's an immediate position that you receive in heaven. You immediately get citizenship in heaven. You are immediately called a child of God because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. But now what? Now what happens on this side of eternity, right? It's not like people, the heart of God is not, hey, receive Jesus as your savior, get saved and have eternity in heaven, and then just kind of live for yourself on this until you die, right? And then when you die, you go be with Jesus. That is not the Christian life. Like, like we talked about uh, last week, maybe the week before, the upward call of God in Christ, right? Philippians 3, Paul preaching on, man, I continue to raise the bar, man, raise the bar in my life. And so anyways, like, May that be where we're at 
today. And, like, and, I, and I'll, I'll start to, to land the plane, and, and I'll, I'll let Corey um, come up and, and sing for us. And we are, we're going to take communion today. And I want communion, like, it, coming back to this idea of the Ebenezer stone, right? Like the Ebenezer stone, man. Like when I got saved, it was a born-again experience. Like, it, and it doesn't have to be, like, over-spiritual for everybody. Like, some people, man, they received faith, uh, faith in Christ at a really young age. Some people receive faith older in life. Some people have a dramatic uh, testimony, right? Like a really dramatic one. Like, mine was fairly dramatic, um, but some people don't. That's okay. Let, that's God. Let, it, let it be God's story. But you need to have identified. You need to have identified. Once you've had a born-again experience, once you've been saved, you need to know what your testimony is. You need to be able to testify of the Lord Jesus. Like, it's, it's mandatory <laughs> to, 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 to be a witness <laughs> for the gospel. Like, I'm blown away, man. Like, when I ask people, like, I'm kind of assuming that they're a Christian. And, I, and, I'm, and if they tell me that they have faith in Christ, like the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that, you know, you are, that you have faith in Christ, then, then you shall be saved. And, like, praise God for that. But, like, if you can't tell your testimony, that's a problem. Ask the Lord to help you. And you might be, today, right in the middle of that testimony. Like, you might be like, man, I don't know if I have that Ebenezer stone that I can just point to. Like, my Ebenezer stone, man, is like, I can tell him, man, a guy came into the gym. Man, he told me the gospel. I invited myself to church. I went to Central United Methodist Church in downtown Fayetteville, Arkansas, man, and I went in there, and there were three people, and they gave their testimonies, and I was like, man, I don't want to leave this church without knowing that I got a testimony too, man. Jesus, I believe in you, you know? And then I went and got in the car and we drove to Eureka Springs and I was still curious, like, man, did I actually give my life to Jesus? I'm not really sure. And I did it again. I'm like, Lord, man, like I want to make sure. I want to know that I'm saved, man. You know, it's like, come on. Like, like it doesn't have to be like so powder cakey. Like, dude, just believe, man. Get after it, you know? Like, just say, Lord, if you're not sure, make sure. I mean, my goodness, it's a once and for all salvation, but dude, if you're not sure, like you need clarity. You, if you're unsure about your salvation, then you ain't making any disciples. You're not leading anybody to the cross, and you're not going to testify of the goodness of the Lord if you don't even know exactly what he's done in your life. Make sure, man. Make certain. That's, that's like the, the theme of the, of the sermon, man, is that, that Ebenezer stone, man. It's like, bam. Like, it's right there. Everyone knew where it was. It wasn't going anywhere. It was rock solid. That's how your faith should be. That's how the testimony of the Lord should be. Like, it's so rock solid, man. Like, there's no, there's no gap in clarity. There's no confusion. It is like, bam, man. This is what God has done in my life. This is the gospel, and I'm here to share it with you guys. And it's like, I'm here to live this thing out. Like, the fact that I even live in Kansas City, the fact that I'm in this church, the fact that I'm doing my job, the fact that I have air in my lungs, is all because God intends to use me for the sake of the gospel. And that is not exclusive to me. That is for every single person in this room. God may not be calling you on this stage, but he's calling you to your own stage. And like, what is that? Like, what stage are you on? And not for your own glory, man. I'm telling you, like, I got coffee stains on this shirt, and I'm a little overweight, and I'm going bald, right? Like, 
This is not a good stage for me, but it's a great one for Jesus. It's a great one for Jesus, man. And he's only using me because I have an inkling of a willing heart to give up my life so that he can use it. With Jimmy and I, man, God, I love Jimmy, man. God, I love Jimmy. Like this man has just inspired me to know the Lord more and more in my life. Like we have a pastor in Jimmy and his abide is strong, man. Like if Jimmy nails anything, it's that he spends time with Jesus. He spends more time with Jesus than I do. I'm telling you that. And thank God for that. He's my pastor. I appreciate that. But like we have a friend and I'm not going to say this friend's name. I wish he was here. In fact, he's never been here. It's really disappointing that this friend has never been here because we've been poured into this guy's life for many years, and Jimmy's poured into his life for a really long time. But we were talking about him the other day, and we weren't gossiping. We're just sharpening one another because we're concerned about this guy. You know who I'm talking about. This guy hasn't figured out how to kill himself yet. He loves himself. He loves the life that he thinks that he has for himself, and he's like, and, and I see nothing but destruction in this guy's life. Like, the Lord is doing incredible things in my life, in Jimmy's life. Like the, the kingdom of God is breaking out and moving. Like there are things that are exciting that people look into and go, oh, the Lord's moving. And he's sitting there like grumpy about it. Like he's pouting about the things that are going on in our life because he feels unlucky. He feels like chance hasn't fallen his way. And I was talking to Jimmy and I'm like, man, I'm just like, I'm having a hard time praying for this guy because I'm getting a little bit frustrated, like righteous anger. You know, I love him unconditionally, but I'm righteously frustrated that we've discipled this guy and he hadn't showed up to church a single time. We've discipled this guy and he's still got massive sin in his life that's producing destruction for him and his family. Like, and he's not seeing it. And Jimmy said it perfect. He just said, man, he just hadn't figured out how to kill himself yet. It's so true. I'm not talking about actual suicide. I'm talking about spiritual suicide. I'm talking about killing yourself, man, like laying your life down. Jesus said, to gain your life, you must lose it. Like you have got to kill yourself, your own desires, your own cares, your own plan, your own future. You have got to lay it down, and your motivation is that Ebenezer Stone, it's that born-again experience where you said, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, and I'm giving my life to you. For some of you guys, man, that is the difference. You haven't given, you want to profess faith in Jesus with your mouth, and you want all the benefits of knowing Jesus is Savior, but you don't want to give up your life. And that's why you don't have the Ebenezer Stone. That's why your testimony's fuzzy. That's why you're curious and trying to figure out what is God doing in my life. But let me encourage you in this, man. After all of that I have just said, I am so happy that we are here today and have the opportunity to rest on the promises of God, like Jesus said, if my people who call me by my name will humble themselves and they will pray and, and they will repent of their sin, I'll heal their land and I will make their lives fruitful. And like I will give you a hope and a future like he told Jeremiah. Like oh, he had to promise, like God is going to take care of us. Like praise the Lord that the nation of Israel had blown it 100,000 times, and I'm here to add another few thousand to that. And the same God that has restored 
the nation of Israel. Even to this day, the fact that the nation of Israel is still in existence, 1948, they became a nation against all odds. The entire world is coming against them, man. I'm here to tell you, our God is a God of promises, and he doesn't screw up. He has a promise with Abraham that the, that the Jews will inherit the land all the days of their life, all the days of existence, man. That is an eternal promise with Abraham still playing out today. God has a plan for us in our lives still playing out today, still happening against all odds, against the throes of the devil, against the weakness of our sin and flesh. Here we are before a holy God ready to say, come on home, man. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.